Hi, this is Britt from resistradio.com and you're listening to a podcast from Monday the 21st of May. Just a quick look at some of the news headlines from today. I have to say thanks for checking out the podcast. I am enjoying this new format um, where I have the freedom to do a podcast whenever I choose to do one instead of having to do it at a set time every Friday. So yeah, thanks for checking it out anyway. And let's have a look at some of the latest news headlines. Well, of course, one of the big stories from yesterday, the death of the supposed Lockerbie bomber, Abdul Basit Al-Magrahi. He died yesterday in Tripoli. Of course, he's been suffering from uh, prostate cancer for some time. That was why he was supposedly released on compassionate grounds um, a couple of years ago. You know, that's caused such a, a massive controversy. But I think it's safe to say, you know, that this guy was certainly innocent of carrying out the Lockerbie bombing anyway. I mean, you know, he was an intelligence operative, so no doubt he did get up to some shady stuff during his time working for Colonel Gaddafi but you know based on the evidence I think it's safe to say that yeah he was innocent of that bombing he was not the man who bombed the Pan Am flight that exploded over Lockerbie Scotland killing I think 290 people was it no 259 I know 259 people on the plane but then I think yeah the rest of the people were killed on the ground in Lockerbie and yeah I'll get into some of that evidence in a, in a minute but quite interesting to see the the reaction to Al-Magrahi's death um, don't want to offend my friends in the US but there seems to be a bit of a contrast between the reaction from the US family members of, uh, of victims and the British family members. Quite strange actually. Of course one of the uh, parents of one of the victims of the Lockerbie bombing is Dr. Jim Swire and he's been at the forefront of trying to prove Al-Magrahi innocent. He actually became friends with Al Magrahi and visited him a few times uh, in in Libya, I believe as well. I think the last visit was just um, a few months ago, and he actually described himself as as being friends with Al Magrahi, and he really firmly believed that the guy was you know innocent of the bombing, and his daughter was actually killed during the bombing. Her name was uh, Flora, and yeah, there's been a, a few other sort of British family members of victims who've you know basically just come out and said you know we don't think that he did this bombing but it doesn't seem to be the the same story in the US uh, just reading through the the metro today that I picked up on the train this this terrible rag but there were some interesting quotes uh, many in the US said he should have died in prison Susan Cohen whose daughter Theodora, 20, was on the doomed Pan Am Flight 103, said, I feel no pity for McGrahi. He was monstrous, 
and I hope his death was extremely painful and horrible. <laughs> Not very nice, really. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just loads of uh, loads of quotes here from uh, U.S. family members. Um, there's a quote from Mrs. Johnson from Pennsylvania, and apparently she said. I know exactly where he is, and I know it is quite hot. So, obviously, you know, thinking that Al-Magrahi's in hell. Um, yeah, yeah, just interesting anyway. I mean, I mean, perhaps we shouldn't be too hard on those people, because obviously, you know, they suffered a, a devastating loss, but, you know, even then, you think they would have looked into the case and, you know, tried to at least think rationally I mean of course they're, you know, they're going to be really angry and if a relative of mine had been murdered in, you know, in such a terrible fashion especially you know, I'd, I'd be really angry as well and I'm certainly not one who believes in uh, forgiving your enemies or whatever I've never been someone who uh, follows that kind of ideology or belief which puts me at odds with a lot of people in the sort of alternative truth movement or whatever you want to call it you know a lot of people do follow the kind of Christian philosophy of forgiving your enemy or whatever or forgiving those who wrong you but that's not something that I've ever related to but yeah I mean you think that they would look at the evidence and then maybe think well did this guy really do it and should I really be saying that I hoped he died in pain, you know? But anyway. Yeah, so let's have a look at some of the key questions about Al-Magrahi's conviction. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous when you read about it. I mean, he was basically convicted on the testimony of a shopkeeper from Malta, a guy called uh, Tony Gauci, who says that he thinks that the guy he sold clothes to was Al-Magrahi because sort of like tiny pieces of this clothing was found um, attached to a fragment from the actual bomb apparently and yeah so he looked at a he was shown a photograph of Al-Magrahi and he said yeah I think that's the guy that I sold these clothes to that were allegedly attached to a bomb fragment and there's huge questions about that as well how they actually managed to find this bomb fragment because it was so tiny there's been people who've you know, seriously questioned whether that was simply concocted and that you know, wasn't really from the bomb um, yeah so Tony Gauchi anyway not only was his evidence you know, pretty, pretty weak really he also changed his story many times and he was even paid a reward of two million dollars by the US so you know he was obviously paid off to, to come up with this evidence that convicted Al-Magrahi um, yeah there were differences in the metal coatings and the circuit board of the timer fragment used in the bombing and one supplied to the Libyans because apparently this bomb had been actually supplied to the Libyans 
that's, that was the claim anyway that the bomb that was used um, they, they knew it was Libya who'd done this because the bomb that had been used was one that they'd actually been supplied by the West and you know as Al-Megrahi himself said if I did this bombing then I have to be the worst terrorist ever something along those lines because not only did they use the the bomb that was traceable um, apparently Al-Megrahi he was accused of having used his own passport whilst he set up this bombing and also staying in his regular hotel and using his regular flights to and from Malta <laughs> so yeah you know pretty inept for someone who was in the intelligence services especially you know there's, you surely wouldn't have behaved like that if he had actually carried out this bombing he would have taken some precautions to uh, to cover his tracks and not been you know so open about what he, you know what he was doing yeah so also of course Al-Megrahi wasn't tried by a jury he was tried by he was tried in, in private by three judges in the Netherlands so you know big questions about how he was actually convicted why that was done in private why he wasn't allowed to have a, a jury and yeah I mean there's, there's various other other things you know um, stuff about the fact that there had actually been a break-in to Pan Am's baggage area 17 hours before the bombing so you know there was actually an opportunity for someone to have got into the, the baggage area and to plant that explosive device whereas basically the court said that the bomb had been uh, transferred from a flight from Frankfurt at, at Heathrow but obviously evidence that you know that might not be true uh, there's a story from Robert Fisk in The Independent today and he talks about having personally looked through loads of files because uh, the Germans apparently had investigated this case uh, quite a lot at the time and they had interviewed a number of um, Le Lebanese people who they thought had been behind the bombing uh, because this is this has been one consistent theory about the bombing that it was carried out not by not by Libya and not by Al Megrahi but by uh, Lebanese terrorists who were basically so the theory goes um, wanting to get revenge on the U.S. because there'd been an Iranian passenger jet that had been accidentally <laughs> in quotation marks uh, blown out of the sky by uh, by a U.S. ship with you know a, a whole load of innocent Iranian um, passengers uh, murdered basically, and that was passed off as an accident. And, you know, funny funny how we don't hear about that tragedy because everybody in the West knows about the Lockerbie bombing. You know, it's um, yeah. I mean, everyone just knows about it, but how many people heard about this Iranian plane that was shot out of the sky, you know, a blatant act of terrorism which somehow the US managed to pass off as an accident so yeah anyway the Germans had interviewed loads of Lebanese people um, the Germans had gone a long way to establishing 
that a Lebanese killed in the airliner was driven to Frankfurt by unknown Lebanese militants, and that the bag containing the bomb was actually put on the baggage carousel for checking in by the passenger's Lebanese handler, who had been looking after him in Germany. And Robert Fisk uh, says, I've gone through these files, and I long ago concluded that they were devastating. There was a Lebanese connection, and probably a Palestinian one too. And there was a press conference in Beirut held by Ahmed Jibril, head of the pro-Syrian Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine General Command, in which Jibril suddenly blurted out, without ever having been accused of the atrocity, the imperishable words, I'm not responsible for the Lockerbie bombing. They are trying to get me with a kangaroo court. And yeah, also there were accusations that Syria was involved in this as well. Um, so yes, lots of kind of counter-evidence to suggest that al-Magrahi didn't carry out this bombing. But is, there, is the truth ever going to come out now that he's dead? Pretty unlikely, isn't it? I mean, David Cameron just today ruled out a reinvestigation uh, into the Lockerbie bombing. He's dismissed the possibility of a UK inquiry into al-Magrahi's conviction and said that the court case which convicted Magrahi was properly conducted and news of his death should be a time to remember the 270 people who lost their lives in what was an appalling terrorist act. Okay, maybe I did get the, the numbers of, uh, of dead wrong there. Maybe it was 269, not 290 as I, uh, as I think I said earlier. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, there was another recent story about Al-Magrahi, um, which I wrote an article about. I'll just pull that up now, because uh, basically a report had come out a few years ago that hadn't been allowed to be released, and this report detailed how uh, crucial evidence had been withheld that basically, so the report uh, claims, would have resulted in Al-Magrahi being, uh, being found innocent. I'll just see if I can pull up that article now, I can't quite remember the details. Um, this was an article that I wrote in March called New Report Supports Innocence of Lockerbie Bomber, and this was a report by the Scottish Criminal Cases Review Commission, which is 821 pages long. Uh, it was a five-year-old report, but as I just said, it hadn't been released because they hadn't had permission to, to publish it. Um, but the Sunday Herald decided to publish it back in March, um, claiming that they were protected by the Data Protection Act to do so. And yes, the crux of this report is that the Crown failed to disclose seven key pieces of evidence that led to the Lockerbie case being referred back for a fresh appeal. The SCCRC rejected many of the defence submissions but upheld six grounds which could have constituted a miscarriage of justice. The Commission made clear that, had such information been shared with the defence, the result of the trial could have been different. So, yeah, yet more evidence there. And yeah, I mean, you have to feel sorry for 
al-Megrahi. I mean, you know, although he was a an intelligence operative, I mean, you know, to be to be accused and convicted of such a terrible crime and to be, you know, so hated by so many people is, you know, just a terrible thing, obviously. I mean, not just for him, but also for his family. I'm sure they've been, you know, persecuted and shunned by a lot of people and he's still, you know, deemed a guilty man, so that's going to continue until they can somehow clear the name. I mean, it seems pretty unlikely they'll, they'll ever be able to do that. But yeah, imprisoned for something you didn't do, I think, has to be, you know, one of the worst things that I can imagine, and especially something as, um, you know, as horrific as, as the Lockerbie bombing. I mean, by all accounts, Al McGrahi is actually, you know, quite an, was quite a nice fella. He was um, always sort of, you know, composed and, um, yeah, just had a, a nice demeanour about him from a few reports that I've read anyway. That's obviously why Jim Swire became friends with him, you know. Apparently he was quite popular in the prison that he was in, in Scotland as well, amongst um, amongst the other prisoners. I remember reading that not too long ago. And yeah, I mean, it's just, just sad really, you know, because, you know, obviously towards the end of his life, during the illegal, totally illegal and immoral takeover of Libya last year, when... You know the uh, the Western-backed rebels working with Al Qaeda managed to finally, you know, overthrow Colonel Gaddafi, and Tripoli actually fell. Apparently, um, Al Megrahi had been found by you know some rebels and sort of harassed. He'd had his property stolen and things like that. And we also had you know the U.S. threatening to deport him so he could face trial in, uh, face a trial in the US even though he was dying of prostate cancer I mean you know that's the last thing you want isn't it when you're sort of on your deathbed you certainly don't want the stress of being harassed, harassed by rebels and then having the US threatening to basically pull you from your deathbed put you on a plane back to the US where you're going to be you know probably sent to Guantanamo or something so yeah anyway an interesting story um, a sad story as well but you know thankfully there are a lot of people who are questioning his conviction you know a lot of high profile people as well um, Jim Swire of course set up the Justice for Al Megrahi campaign group and there's a whole list here of people who've signed a statement um, from Justice for Megrahi. Some pretty high-profile people, actually. <laughs> Archbishop Desmond Tutu, former BBC chief news correspondent Kate Ad, private eye editor Ian Hislop, Cardinal Keith O'Brien, Scotland's most senior Catholic, and Professor Noam Chomsky. They've all demanded an independent inquiry into McGrahi's conviction. His prosecution was based on a fantastical tale, with no direct or forensic evidence to support a tenuous circumstantial case, they said. Yeah. So anyway, I mean let's you know, let's hope that he does get some kind of um justice, even though he's now um died, you know, for his family.
so they can stop being, you know, harassed and hated at least. So what else is going on? Well, here's a an, just a short news story that came out today. Just to give some credit to our friends in the U.S., I don't think that I've been uh, criticizing the U.S. there by talking about these people who've been uh, hating on Al Megrahi because. Yes, some of our American friends have been doing a good job there. Blair heckled by protesters at U.S. College. So apparently um, Tony Blair was giving a speech in Waterville, Maine, in which he was calling for world unity, which is quite ironic, seeing as he managed to pretty much single-handedly devastate the... uh, devastate the Middle East, you know. Not much unity going on in Iraq at the moment, is there? No. Distinctively disunited in Iraq, which of course, you know, is part of the agenda, you have to you have to say. You know, this divide and rule agenda, maximum chaos, and the people who are above the chaos and manipulating and controlling it can yeah, can use that chaos. Order out of chaos, you know. Sounds like I'm speaking in cliches a bit now, I guess, but, you know, a lot of the cliches in this sort of alternative truth movement, you know, they do have a, a truth in them. That's why they've become cliches. But yeah, he was um, giving this speech to 400 Colby College graduates and their guests at the school's 191st commencement. Police said the protesters shouted phrases such as warmonger and war criminal during Mr. Blair's speech, and one person was was arrested. Yeah, so good on those guys in Waterville, Maine. You know, I've said it before, but I really hope Tony Blair is just hounded until whenever the end of his life might be. I mean, obviously, you know, my first, my first choice <laughs> for Tony Blair would be uh, would be imprisonment you know he should he should be on trial he should be tried for war crimes and he should go to prison for what he did but seems to be immune doesn't he Tony Blair so failing this uh, trial I guess the best we can hope for is just sort of constant abuse and, uh, and harassment I mean you know there are people in, in the UK who are doing that Apparently he has to be really careful now. I mean, he's got like a really expensive security team. So, you know, it's kind of minor comfort really, but it's some small consolation that Tony Blair has to be careful now. And, you know, he is being harassed, you know, albeit on a kind of low level, but it's better than nothing, I guess, isn't it? Yes, Tony Blair who's uh, since served as the envoy of the Quartet on the Middle East. And, um, of course, he was the uh, Middle East Peace Envoy, which was just a, a kind of a sick irony, you know. You couldn't make this stuff up. There's been so many sick ironies um, in the you know in the years that I've been kind of researching this stuff. I mean, just in more recent years, you know, like... Barack Obama being awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, for example. <laughs> Another sick irony. Ben Bernanke being voted Time Magazine's Man of the Year. 
Yes, we can add those two to the list of sick ironies, along with Tony Blair being Middle East peace envoy, spreading that peace amongst the people of Iraq by, you know, bombing the shit out of them and uh, using weapons that have resulted in loads of infants being horribly deformed. You know what you know what's going on anyway. No need for me to fill you in on that. Another story which actually came out a few days ago and actually made me a bit angry. I think this came out on Friday um, in the Telegraph. Diamond Jubilee and Kate Effect lead to record support for the monarchy poll shows. The combination of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee and the Kate Effect since last year's royal wedding has pushed support for the monarchy to its highest level for decades. So, I mean, I read that and I just thought, you know, this this country is just this country is just finished, really. And there's just no hope for people. You know, you look around and you see what's happening because of the you know the greed and the theft and the corruption of the elite. And then you've still got people, you know, worshipping the royal family for, for doing absolutely nothing. You know, for, for spending the taxpayers' money, for being, yeah, worshipped just, just for, I don't know what for really, it's ridiculous. But apparently 80% of Britons want to remain subjects of the Queen, with just 13% in favour of living in a, a republic. The lowest proportion for at least 20 years. So this poll was done by Ipsos Mori, because I did think, like, you know, maybe they've just made this up and, it, you know, it's just some organisation, some pro-monarchist organisation. But, I mean, this is kind of a an established um, poll organisation, so unless they fiddled the figures, unless they did it in some area which was, you know, strongly pro-monarchist, I mean, we would need to see the, the data behind the poll, but... I mean, the sad thing is I can actually believe it to be true. I mean, you know, I speak to people who are obviously anti-monarchist and um, and against this being born into privilege and, you know, just spending the taxpayers' money. But, you know, I was uh, one of the very few people who went down to London for the royal wedding last year to give out, you know, anti-royal wedding, anti-monarchy flyers and to try and speak to people. I mean, I have to be honest, it was possibly one of the least successful bits of activism I've ever done. But, you know, we had a good day out anyway. But, yeah, I mean, the the, the whole of London was just filled with people having a good time and they didn't want to speak to people, you know, miserable sods like me, trying to put a downer on things. But, you know, at least we tried anyway. But, yes, everyone was, was having a good time, waving the flags and uh, celebrating the wedding of... Kate and Wills, I mean, you know, I don't have anything against those two people personally, but as an institution, the monarchy is just something that I cannot understand, something that I cannot relate to at all. I mean, that's why, I, you know, I, re I respect the, pe the, the people from the US and, uh, you know, the way that they <laughs> dealt with, um, with royalty. Um, I've always respected that. So yes, is there any hope for this country? when people are still tugging their forelocks at the at the Queen and the Royal Family. If you didn't see 
Lee Woodberg's video, I would definitely recommend you check out his last video where he did a news report from Chester Zoo, I believe, when the Queen visited Chester Zoo. Very amusing. You can go to his channel, which is called Bob Zimmer Fan on YouTube. Oh, I also posted it on my Facebook page. If you go to Facebook, uh, Resistance Radio, you'll be able to find the video on there. Very funny indeed. Yes, you can like my page on Facebook, if you have Facebook. And there's also a Resist Radio Twitter account. You can find the links to this on the resistradio.com website, where I assume you're listening to this podcast. Um, You can also have a look in the article section for my articles. And that about brings it to a close for today, folks. As I said last time, I'd like to keep it under half an hour, but... I am enjoying this format, just rambling for half an hour about you know current news. Because when I was on a Friday, it's um, there's you know a lot of stuff happens, and it's good to try and keep on top of these things. So thanks for listening, guys. If you do like these podcasts, and I'd appreciate it if you could share them, and spread them about a bit. And I will catch you on the next one. Don't forget to check out resistradio.com. Cheers.